Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello and welcome to Series 1, Episode 10 of the Manchester United Weekly Podcast. It's doom and gloom again as we discuss a loss at Anfield and a plucky draw as we're the underdogs against West Ham. Yes, this is the Manchester United Weekly Podcast, and you can find us on Twitter at UTD Weekly Pod. Thank you very much for joining us today, Jack. Can you sum up the last week in a word? Disappointment. Yeah, I guess, I, I mean, really, that's what it has been all week, hasn't it? So firstly, we go to Liverpool. I wouldn't say there was the highest of expectations. A lot of us were going into there thinking one all, that'd be a great result. In fact, I think you predicted one all, as did I, when we previewed that in uh, episode nine. And then it, the scoreline, 2-0, it, it is poor, but just the the performance, the lack of passion, overused word, and a bit of a cliche now, but the lack of passion and the lack of fight and determination shown for the players was, as you say, disappointing. Absolutely, yeah. I think we all went into that game expecting it to be quite a tough, a tough game. Liverpool were in pretty decent form, and, and we certainly won. I think, like you said, it's it is quite an overused word, like sort of phrase. But I think the lack of fight and the lack of passion that we saw, we we're both quite careful not to to just place the blame for everything on the manager. But I think to some degree you have to look at at the pre-match what the managers were saying, you know. You had Jurgen Klopp coming out saying this was the mother of all games, and then you had Louis Van Gaal almost almost playing down its significance that it's not really a rivalry and that it doesn't matter that we're playing against Liverpool. And I just think sometimes that emotional detachment can be quite good, but in games like that, you need that emotion to stoke up the players, and it really came across in the game. There just looked to be no fight and no hunger from the players, and we were totally outclassed. And if it wasn't for our brilliant goalkeeper, we we would be absolutely dead and buried. David De Gea, probably the the only positive out of that game at all, really. Paul Scholes sums it up really well. I mean, he's been able to disagree with a lot of times this season. We said, I see Lallana rolling his studs over the ball as if he's taking the mickey. Someone tackle him, smash him. Um, and, and he continued on that sort of tirade against United. And not, not really against Van Gaal, but against the weak squad. 
straight after the game, I wrote an opinion piece for Favre about the lack of uh, fight within the squad and how the weak squad has to take the blame as well. Players like Matter, who's just been sent off, has something to prove. And I think I, I gave him a, a rating of about five. I mean, he, he was quiet the entire game, just muscled off the ball, wasted a lot of chances. Seven years ago, United were playing at the top level of European football, but we didn't. Not all the players were top level. The the commitment was there. We had players like John O'Shea, Jason Park, Darren Fletcher, who probably had less quality than even some of the players now, like Bastian Schweinsteiger and probably Michael Carrick's better than Fletcher and Park. But the the fight isn't there, and and the lack of understanding about what what we're about as a football club isn't there. Absolutely, yeah. We've always had those kind of players, as you say, who maybe weren't the most te- technically gifted. But you knew that every single game they would they would go out there and they would leave absolutely everything out on the pitch. And as much as as it is an overused phrase that you know all you need is passion and desire to win a football match, there is a, definitely a place for it, especially in games where you're away from home in Europe, albeit not not the European competition we want to be in. But when you're away from home in Europe, especially at somewhere that can be as hostile as Anfield can, you really need those industrious sort of players that will just get about the pitch and put themselves about. And we had no one who was willing to do that the other night. It looked like we were so content to just drop off, let Liverpool have the ball. And it cost us in the end. It was it, it was really a strange performance, and I didn't really understand the thinking behind it, and I didn't understand where we thought we could go with it, to be honest. It was it was really strange, and it was it was tough to watch, honestly. We'll come on to Van Hal's thinking behind what was a, a very odd game plan that no one could re- really decide what it was in a second. But continue on the, on the lack of motivation, it's... It's very worrying because, I mean, quality is mainly blamed on the manager because he's brought in the players. Sometimes he's taking away their freedom, as some people have said. But what you can blame on the players, and maybe it's because of they don't like the manager, but to not be motivated, even if they've fallen out with Van Gaal, and even if Van Gaal hasn't given an incredible team talk, even in that case, how can the players for a European night at Anfield, in the last 24 seconds or so, they're turning backwards and then they're not just two from the ball into the box going for it. They're not sprinting. They're just passing about. And Liverpool fans were singing You'll Never Walk Alone, probably the only third or fourth time they sung in the game at all. But Liverpool fans were singing and it seemed like the team in white, us, were passing it around in sort of arrogance because we'd won 2-0. But really we're chasing a 2-0 deficit. I think that was, for me, one of the strangest things. That nothing seemed to change even when we were 2-0 down. And the... The strangest thing about it was, no matter how badly we had played, if we got one goal in those last few minutes, that completely changes the outlook of the tie because we go back to Old Trafford, only one goal down with that important away goal, and then a 1-0 win would send us through. Whereas now we have a proverbial mountain to climb in the home leg, really, to overturn that 2-0 deficit. And that away goal would have been so, so vital. You know, even if Liverpool had then gone on and, and, and scored another, at least 3-1 puts us in a better position than 2-0 because we have that away goal. And to see that nothing changed, that we ne- we didn't even seem to, to really care about scoring that away goal, I thought it was it baffled me. It really did. And as you say, it was it was such a disappointment because we were all looking forward to the game so much. The first time that these two heavyweights of, of English football had ever met in European competition. And as a United fan, it was just such a letdown. It was such a a stale, uninspiring performance. Yeah, and there's like the players have apologised. And this was another thing Scholes was saying. He said, I don't want them saying sorry on social media. Stop talking and start playing the game. And I don't always agree with that because at the moment there's a, a really good connection between uh, fans and players on social media. 
And in terms of squads, when I was at Anfield away in the league, uh, Marcus Rojo and Phil Jones was there, and that, that it was it was like a reward for all the fans who had gone. But I think there's there's definitely a reason that the that we're singing about Ronaldo now. We're singing about Cantona. We've always sung about Cantona, but I think there's a reason that there aren't songs about the current players. Because if you think about it, there's there's a song about Juan Mata. It doesn't come out much. There's a song about some of the players, and and the ones that really come out are about Rooney, who everyone knows is always given the, the huge effort and has done a lot for the club, even if those two transfer requests are a black blotch on his record, really. And there aren't new songs about the players at the club because we might love Martial and, uh, and people like that, but there isn't that sort of connection with that they, they really understand what's about the club, whereas you see Danny Welbeck scoring for Arsenal against Watford in the Cup at the weekend, and then there's players like Raphael playing for Leon and, and, and people like that, even Tom Cleverley. At least you knew he, he cared about the club, at least you knew he was giving everything and he understood what Manchester United are all about. I couldn't agree more. There, there does seem to be a real disconnection I think between the players and the fans at the moment and I think it stems from the fact that when you watch them on the pitch it's just so uninspiring no one no one seems like they care you know if we we concede a goal in years gone by if we conceded a goal it, there would always be one or two people going around either absolutely crucifying their teammates for a mistake or or geeing the team up you know getting them ready to go again and there just is absolutely none of that in the moment and it's got so much worse since Rooney got injured as well because we don't have that natural-born leader in our team anymore. You know, Michael Carrick is pretty much the only really senior player that we have, but he's never really been a kind of leader of, of men. He's he's just been, he's just been around for a long time. We never had that leader who we could look to as fans and think that is someone who leads this team. That is someone who understands what the game is about, what is needed, and transfers that onto the rest of the players. And there is just none of that at the moment, and it really does. Just look like a team that is void of emotion and, to be honest, doesn't really care what happens on the pitch. Difficult to say that they don't care because I, I think, obviously, their football is playing for United. I think they do. But as you say, it's not obvious on the pitch. And they come out and they say, we're sorry. But I don't really care. Just, I mean, I know they have to do these interviews, but, I mean, they look sort of upset, but they don't look angry. They don't look frustrated. They don't look motivated by what they've done on the pitch they need to be motivated by the fact that they've performed so so badly and and really if it was a one-off as we saw a lot of times in the the last 10 years of Fergie there was sort of one-off performances in the season especially against Liverpool really when Fernando Torres ripped the Man United apart uh, four consecutive games or something <laughs> there, there were blotches in the season but this isn't a blotch this is something that is happening this lack of effort is something that's happening every single week um, we have to move on to, to something else about the Liverpool game, the, the, the Van Aal tactics. Very odd, weren't they? Yeah, really odd. It was, first and foremost, I don't really understand what Marcus Rashford really was doing on, on the right-hand side, especially if it was a plan that we would sit back and so, it, and so we knew that whoever was playing wide right would end up having a defensive role for much of the game because that is not what Marcus Rashford is about. That's not the experience that he's had either at under-21 level or in the first team. It was just bizarre, the tactics. I just didn't understand them. I think the only thing that I could think of was that Van Hull was thinking back to the win at Anfield earlier in the season where we were dominated for large parts of the game and ended up getting what was admittedly probably a bit of a smash-and-grab win. But in that game, we didn't sit back as much as we did on Thursday. It was We were trying to go forward a little bit more. We just For, for whatever reason, it just didn't click. And it, I, I, I just didn't understand it. And... To, 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 I mean, in Van Hal's defence, he did change it at half-time. He went to three at the back, and it actually did help. 
But on the night, he was just outmanaged by Jurgen Klopp, unfortunately, because then Klopp changed the, changed what Liverpool were doing. He changed their setup and the changes that Van Gaal had made in going three to three at the back. And the ways in which that had helped us in the second half were completely nullified. And Van Hal was outmaneuvered the whole night. And I'm not entirely sure what the thinking was behind that twist, to be honest. Yeah, it was a strange one. Talking about the three at the back, that change at half-time, before they scored and before Carrick did that horrendous pass, <laughs> people were quite happy about the 3-5-2. And I thought it it was working. I'm not sure. I haven't, thankfully, watched the game again. I'm not quite sure why it made such a difference, whether it was Carrick being able to play out or Blind being a uh, left wing-back instead of Rojo. Blind's much more f- effective on the left than Rojo is. So I don't know if it was that or if it was Carrick being able to play out or if it, if it was uh, sort of not allowing Liverpool to high-press and we were allowed to sit back more. But it, it was working. And then I think if it had been three actual defenders at the back or if it had been Blind in place of Carrick and then an actual left back I think it it would have been fine really because it was working in the in the way that it was and then Carrick it was all down to one mistake and uh, De Gea kept us in it but really if we hadn't conceded that uh, that due to a mistake which De Gea couldn't really do anything about but it, it was down to Carrick who I'm not going to hugely blame for I mean he was playing in defence it's not his position if it wasn't down for that, it would only be 1-0. And then if we get a goal back, it's an incredible result, really, given our pre-game expectations. The change to three at the back did help, as I said. It was it helped us, I think, to just crowd that middle of the pitch quite a lot because Liverpool play quite a narrow style and we just couldn't live with their movement in the first half. Firmino, Sturridge, it was, it was just too much for our defence to handle. So it did help going to three at the back. I was just looking at half-time for us to come out and try and play a little bit more because... Obviously, having already been one nil down, as you said, if we if without that individual mistake from Carrot, if we'd have then managed to you know play a little bit more um, with a little bit more forward intent in the second half and get that away goal, you come back to Old Trafford with a one all draw. Even if Liverpool d- did score again and we come back with a two one defeat, we're in a much much better position than we are now. So I think the the idea behind going to going to three at the back was right, and it did help to some degree. I think just the way it was. It was implemented, need, needed to be in tandem with us, changing the impetus a little bit and trying to take the fight to Liverpool a little bit more. The only thing that I can think of as to why we may have sat back so much on the night is that Van Gaal was worried about the combination of Liverpool's front players, you know, Lallana, Firmino, Sturridge, Coutinho, because of, because of the interchange that, that, that they have. Their movement when they're all on song is really, really good and it's and it's it's actually a kind of style of play that we really are not good at playing against. For some reason, when there are a lot of interchanging players, a lot of good movement up front, we really don't seem to be able to, be able to handle that. But I just think it, we, it, he went about it the, the complete wrong way. And, and sitting back, even when we did go to three at the back, sitting back along with it, it just nullified any kind of advantage we gained from going to three at the back. Right, a slightly better performance against West Ham. Definitely a better performance, um, no doubt about that, but still not brilliant. I think it, it, it deserved to be a draw, didn't it? Yeah, I think in the end it did deserve to be. We actually played quite well against West Ham, I thought. It was nothing nothing spectacular, but definitely a big, big improvement from the Liverpool game on Thursday. We created a decent amount of chances, and I think if it wasn't for some, some poor decision-making in the final third from a lot of our attacking players then I think we, we could have gone on to win the game. It was a strange game, really, because both teams looked at any moment like they could they could act, like take the game by the scruff of the neck, not really looking forward to the replay at Upton Park, the last ever 
FA Cup tie at West Ham's famous old ground, that is going to be an absolutely rocking Berlin stadium. And <laughs> it's going to be really, really tough ask to get through that. Yeah, last ever game at Upton Park uh, in, in the Cup before one of us goes to Wembley. Um, we are in the semi-final draw, better than a lot of people expected. <laughs> um, but yeah, atmosphere at Upton Park is going to be electric, as it usually is, to be fair. Martial, he got the goal, a uh, bit of controversy over that. Bastille Schweinsteiger, whether it's deliberate or not, did completely get the goalkeeper out of the way to allow Martial to score. But Martial overall was brilliant, um, led the team. All of our attacks came through Martial on the left flank when he drifted out to the left. He brought other players into the game. He held the ball up really well and, and even defensively. He was doing a, a few little skills, um, uh, holding off players to, to let it go out for a goal kick instead of conceding a corner or throwing. And his overall game was superb. One of his best performances in the United shirt. Absolutely. As, as you said, all, pretty much all of our, our good work in attack came through Martial. Some of his decision-making left a little bit to be desired, but that's to be expected from a player of his age, and it's been it's not the first time that it's happened. He really did play well. He he exposed um, and uh, Mikel Antonio quite a lot, playing in an unfamiliar position at right back, and he really took advantage of it well right from the first few minutes. First time he got the ball, he got in behind Antonio and was fouled by Winston Reid. And the first time he was one on one with Antonio, he got past him again. So yeah, it was a was a good performance from him, and he got got the goal that he deserves really. And that that's what I think he needs to add to his game a little bit more. Playing off the left flank, he can be really really effective, and it's just making sure he gets in those positions to put away put away those kind of I guess what, what really are sort of poachers goals. And I think to see him do that it was it was really really nice, and it capped off what was a very good performance. Yeah, because he hasn't scored for a while, but. Um... And that was a, a very good finish. Um, for once, I think it was Michael Owen commentating, for once he, he said something really of note that <laughs> it's a much harder finish than it looked. Um, although he does use that expression quite a lot. Um, <laughs> yeah, Martial, definitely the stand-up player for me, definitely man of the man of the match for us. Fellaini, uh, let's talk about him. Against Liverpool, much criticised. Against West Ham, uh, highly criticised again. To be honest, Fellaini can't win. And there's no way I see his United career ending without everyone celebrating quite a lot. But I don't think you can blame it entirely on him. He's played as a midfielder very strangely, and it seems about halfway through the game, Van Hull, every, every single time halfway through the game, Van Hull realises that if you're going to play Fellaini, there's no point in playing him unless you're going to utilise him as, unless you're going to utilise that incredible chest he has that, that caresses the ball down from about 60 yards in the air. If you're not going to utilise that, there's no point of playing him. And Van Hal seems to only realise this halfway through the games, and then we do it, and it looks much better, but people are still annoyed because they don't like the fact that uh, we're playing that kind of football. But I don't think you can really blame that on Fellaini. And really, it's, if he wasn't so slow, he'd be such a, a useful player. And he, he is a useful player. And people forget that. And people forget that uh, he adds so many goals and, and adds so much to our game. And I don't like having to use him. But it's more that I hate having to use him than I hate Fellaini. Because actually, of what he does, he does a good job. And when he's asked to fulfill a role that he isn't good at in midfield, when he actually has to pass the ball, I'd probably put that down to Van Aal and not Fellaini. I'd agree, yeah. If you put Ander Herrera and as sort of a, a centre-forward and asked him to play the role that Fellaini is, is best at playing... I'm sure the results would be just as bad as watching Fellaini try and play the role that Ander Herrera is, is supposed to play. And so it is unfortunate for Fellaini. I think he's being used in the wrong way at the moment, not just in sort of the position that he's deployed, but I think the way that Fellaini should be used is that he should be an impact sub, someone where if it's not going right in a game, we can't seem to create enough chances, 
we're drawing or losing. He should then be someone who comes on in the second half to try and change things, offer us a new new avenue of attack, kind of similar to what he did against West Brom, I believe, last season, where he came on and, and uh, scored an equaliser for us. That, for me, is how he should be used, because he is really, really effective at just giving us an avenue of attack that no one else in our team can provide. And even if it isn't directly him that kind of assists or scores a goal, he just takes defenders away. He attracts attention because of how big he is. And so playing him playing him at the, at the base of midfield, alongside Michael Carrick, in a team that, well, at least as Van Hal was trying to create, a team that keeps the ball and passes the ball a lot, to me is just ludicrous. And so, yeah, I don't... I don't really know what, what else Fellaini can do. He, he, he was never bought as someone who can spray the ball around majestically. He was bought as someone who has a great physical presence and we aren't using it. For what he does, he does it to the best of his ability. That ability is one of the best at, at what he does in the league and one of the best that you could have. It's just we have this rightfully have this prejudice against the, the style of play that he makes us have. So uh, as I said, I don't hate the, I don't hate Fellaini, I more hate the the fact that we have to use Fellaini. After his brilliant performance against Liverpool, um, David De Gea, Zinedine Zidane, has thankfully said that Real Madrid have no deal for De Gea and have no hopes for one at the moment. He says he's very happy with the goalkeepers he has in Keylor Navas, Kiko Casilla and the young Ruben Yanes, which is great to see. Hopefully, uh, if we don't get Champions League football, that doesn't really push De Gea over the edge, although... Many inside the United camp say that uh, De Gea sort of fell out with the the hope of going to Madrid when it sort of turned out that they didn't really want him on deadline day. Before we drew to West Ham at the weekend, Louis van Gaal insisted his three-year plan at Manchester United is on track. He made a few people laugh on Twitter. I think it's working, said van Gaal, rejecting the accusation United have fallen short in its time at the helm. It's not giving the best results. It's not good enough when you think you have to be a champion or win the Europa League or the FA Cup. There are many of my colleagues who are not in three competitions anymore. Strange comments. He, he, he sounds a bit delusional. In fact, he says it's going on track given that um, when he arrived, he said first year top four, second year Premier League champions, and we're definitely not going to be Premier League champions this year. So I can't see quite how it's on track. Sort of more fun news now. Zlatan Ibrahimic, who's been linked to United quite a few times this season, says that he won't be at PSG <laughs> next season unless they replace the Eiffel Tower with a statue of him. Does Zlatan or not to Zlatan for United, Jack? It's hard to argue argue that we shouldn't. Um, we need someone who can come in and, and win a game on his own, and he is that man. As much as I despise Zlatan and his and his arrogance, he is a player that I think we we kind of need. Listen, he he'd add to any squad in the world. He's he's still a world class striker, whichever way you want to look at it. And I think maybe a test in the Premier League before he he ends his career might be something that he would look to and. You know, he'd only be a, he'd only be a short term fix, but I think he could definitely add something to our team. Come on, I mean Zlatan's hilarious. I mean, I think you I do love him or hate him, but uh, I, for a period of time I, I did hate him. I found his arrogance ridiculous. But he's won far more league titles than Messi or Ronaldo. I think he's won the same amount of league titles as Messi and Ronaldo put together. I believe it's thirteen now. That's even. Uh, I think Messi's got seven and Ronaldo four. So yeah, maybe it's the other way around. But yeah, he's won more than Messi and Ronaldo put together. Yeah, it, it, I mean, if next season's going to be the same as this one, having Zlatan Ibrahimovic there with his comments like "unless they replace the Eiffel <laughs> with a statue of me, I won't stay." Um, having that next season could sort of lighten the mood a little. Gattuso, currently managing Pisa in Italy, says he'd walk to Manchester United if he was given the ch- opportunity to manage them. He says he records two championship matches a night because he loves English football, although I'm not sure that makes him a candidate just yet. 
if Van Gaal leaves in the summer. Marcus Rojo says he's got a good relationship with Guillermo Varela since Uruguay broke into the first team and Varela now drives Rojo to training every day, um, which Rojo says he's not complaining about at the moment. Meanwhile, Ryan Giggs says his grand started off his United support even when he was living in Cardiff as a youngster. Youth news this week, Archie Davies scored in the 14th minute for Brighton and Hove Albion as they moved top of the Group 3 of the Under-18 Premier League. This is uh, the Merit Group playoffs. Um, there's three groups because we finished in the bottom two of the Northern Division we're in the third group Paul McGuinness was sacked well he wasn't sacked he resigned a week before he was about to be sacked and Tommy Martin is currently at the helm we had great momentum before this Charlie Scott levelled for, for United in the 70th minute but Brighton immediately took the lead again through Daniel Mandriu we remain on four points but can still finish top of group three with Brighton just three points ahead on Friday on the under-21 side, we've top of the under-21 Premier League with a draw against Liverpool. Um, Antonio Valencia returned from injury for a 45-minute spell. James Wee equalised with 20 minutes remaining after Jerome Sinclair took Liverpool in front. We had been on the bench with Joe Riley, who also played at Anfield the previous night, so up and down to Manchester from Liverpool for them. Um, Jack, how have our lone players been doing this week? So, Ashley Fletcher, unfortunately, played in a 2-0 loss for Barnsley. Although, it wasn't a terrible ball performance from the youngster. He actually won a penalty for Barnsley, which was then subsequently missed. Um, but he continued his, his pretty good form. He was, he looked lively throughout the game and created quite a lot of problems. James Wilson, uh, Bryce were not in action, uh, this weekend. Tyler Blackett continues to be frozen out of the Celtic squad, however. It just it seems more and more ludicrous, that low move, as as time goes on. It really does. It's completely pointless, really, Tyler Blackett being there. And he, he might as well he may as well come back to United and, and stay in the under-21s, really, because it, it's really not benefiting him, Man United, or, or Celtic, him being there. It was a terrible week for Victor Valdez, however. His team, standard Liège, lost 4-0 to Mechelen in the Belgian Pro League. Kieran O'Hara was an unused sub, as Morecambe won 2-1. And Nick Powell was not even in the whole squad that drew 1-1. So, all in all, a, a pretty poor week for the uh, Manchester United Lonies. To be honest, as, as usual with our lone players, Fletcher, the only one impressing really this week. And do we have any questions this week, Jack? We do. We have two. So the first comes in from at J underscore BHAFC, who asks, what should United do with Rashford next season? Keep in the squad or loan after his his breakthrough into the first team? Difficult, that. Um, I think last episode we discussed about how well I said how Rashford should be his his role in the squad at the moment should be minimalised. Um, I think at Liverpool on the Thursday we saw why it has to be. He was given far too many tactical instructions, playing on the right wing, not his natural role at the moment. Even though he's played there before, I think that could uh, very much harm him. Um, I think he needs to continue developing. So next season. I think it, it really depends. If Van Gaal's here, he won't go, I think. Um, he seems to uh, sort of reward the players who have uh, uh, used his faith and, and made their, taken their chance, really. I think a, a low move, maybe um, in the season after, if he hasn't become a, a first-team player by, by then. Although next season could be the last chance for, for him to go on loan, really. Because, the, because he started so early now at 18... It means that in two years' time, if he's not playing, there's going to be stories about about Rashford, uh, and everyone will be watching him. If he, if he does go on loan in two seasons' time, they'll say he's a failure. So maybe next season is the last chance. But at, at the moment, for the rest of this season, I think he's got his role has to be minimised as much as possible. And then next season too, I don't think he can be a first team player just yet. 
it's a tough one because in principle I would think oh perfect the loan system would would fit Rashford perfectly but it just seems that the loan system never works out the way that it, it's supposed to really there's very few players that seem to go out on loan and and it actually benefits them. The only one that I can really, that springs to mind straight away is Harry Kane. And so I would say keeping him in the under-21s and then occasional appearances in the first team would probably be the best sort of balance for now. The problem is that you, to, to loan him out to somewhere that, that would guarantee him first-team football, you would have to loan him out to a club probably not in the Premiership, perhaps not even in the Championship, or the, although, I mean, probably in the Championship, but maybe like not one of the top clubs fighting for promotion. And then you you face the issue of will that standard of football really gain him much experience that he couldn't get through playing in the under twenty ones? And then it also forgoes any chance of him being able to play in cup games or in games where we change the side a lot for the first team. Yeah. So I I think the better option would would be to to keep him at the club, keep him in the under twenty ones, and then either in the Capital One Cup, the FA Cup, uh, or in any other games where we decide to rotate the side a lot. I think it would be better to play him in those games and then keep him in the under 21s the majority of the time. I can't see him getting much worthwhile experience while being out on loan, honestly. Uh, and we've got a little statement from a from a Palace fan, I assume. <laughs> the statement is simply Zaha is better than your wingers. So we'll we'll kind of turn this into why why did we sell Wilfred Zaha? And I guess could we use him at at the moment? No. Uh, I think it was very clear why we sold him. Didn't work out at United. Fifteen million was a lot of money. Um, I think we sold him for half that price or something. And I think he all came and at that point, I think it was quite a good experience for him. And then to go back to Palace is obviously working out for him, and that's great to see because I have a soft spot for Palace, and I have a I, I quite like Zaha. To watch him is, is great fun, especially alongside Balassi. Um so I, th- I think it was a good experience for him, but at the time his decision making was terrible. He kept getting these one-on-one chances, and he'd just, like shoot straight at the keeper. He wouldn't chip it, and he wouldn't go low underneath their legs or try to curl it around them. He'd literally just boot it at the keeper, and and it wouldn't work. So decision making probably the the main reason why it didn't work out for him United. I think it was definitely the right decision to sell him. Uh, maybe we could use him now, but it's the same as, as with Xavier Hernandez. Um, we sold him. He became a great player. If he had stayed, don't think he would have done. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I I still believe that was the right decision to sell him. I think the problem with Zaha was his, his decision making was poor at United. But I also think it was that in the in the in the time he was at the club, there just never seemed to be any significant improvement. And his kind of understanding of of the game, not not in the sense of positioning or anything like that, just in terms of when was the right time to kind of show off his skills a little bit. When was the right time to use a bit of trickery, and when was the right time actually just to keep things simple. I think that's what he struggled with. And, and I, I agree. I'm, I'm happy to see that he's now kind of found his feet at Crystal Palace and that he is, he's beginning to thrive there. Well, for at please Josh know, he says he's got swelling on his ankle. I hope that gets better. And he says about mowing his lawn. He's uh, losing his rich green colour. I hope that gets better too. That's all we have time for today. Thank you very much for sending in those questions and thank you very much for listening to Series 1, Episode 10 of the Manchester United Weekly Podcast. We've reached double figures already and your support's been overwhelming. Um, we'll be trying to get a few more guests in the coming weeks and we'll have a great interview for you at the end of the season. I promise from, for more from us too, follow us on Twitter. Jack, where can we find you? Uh, at UTD Tate, T-A-I-T. And you can find me on Twitter at Harry Robinson 64 and the podcast at UTD Weekly Pod, P-O-D. Another huge week ahead. Another poor week put behind us. Um, This is all just stress relief, really. Goodbye.
Social Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.